Lord, on this parent-child commitment 2019, I, I pray, Father, that you would just help us to encourage parents this morning, to encourage children, to encourage families. Father, we, we know that there are no perfect parents and there's no perfect kids, only a perfect Savior. So, Father, these next few minutes, I, I pray that from the Word of God, from experience, and from all of the mistakes that we make, I pray that each one of us will learn from those mistakes and given another opportunity, we'll do it right the next time. So now, Father, hide your preacher behind the cross, turn us loose, and let us preach. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Those kids were beautiful, and their parents uh, need us as a church family to rally around them and to support them and to love them and to pray for them. And you may not have caught this a few moments ago, but let me give you a statement that I shared with moms and dads a few minutes ago. One of the greatest mission fields available to us is in our own homes, wherever your address may be. For my upbringing and my baby sister's upbringing, it was Route 8, Box 264 on Harris Road right here in Athens, Alabama. And my mom and dad... Kim's here this morning. Our mom and dad were not perfect. But man, they tried real hard to provide for us, to love us, and to, to train us to one day be independent and do our own thing, and that we have done. Some of the couples in our church, some of the families in our church, uh, some of our single parents in our church are just starting out, and they need your wisdom. They need us to come alongside of them in Sunday school, come alongside of them and to help to train up the next generation that they may know Jesus. I love getting out in the yard or going to the gym with Zeke, but life has got to be more for me than teaching my son how to hit a home run, hit a three, or run a touchdown. There has to be so much more to it than those things. Now, those things are important. Those things are a part of growing up, and there's nothing wrong with that, but... If Zeke and Danny learns all those things, but they don't know Jesus, something's wrong with this picture. Today is let the children come to Jesus. All of us that are saved here today, we got saved in a variety of ages. For me, it was at eight years of age. I was just a little boy out at Shanghai Baptist Church during a revival in the summer of 1972. Zeke got saved around age five or six and then baptized at age eight. Still praying for Danny, and I know and I believe that that day will come sometime out in the future in God's timing and God's providence. But I pray that we here at First Baptist, and as we encourage and influence others, will never ever say, no children, you can't come to Jesus right now. I pray that our arms and our hearts will always be open wide to come to Him. If you have your Bibles, your smartphone, your iPad, or your Kindle, turn with me quickly to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. Let's look at a few verses here, and then we will land in the Gospel of Mark in just a few moments. The Bible says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? It's just like adults to debate those kinds of things that do not matter. Oh, yeah, the disciples were trying to jockey for position. Who's going to be at the front of the line? 
Who is going to get to spend more time with Jesus than others? Who is the greatest? I love the response of Jesus. And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, that unless you turn and become like children, you will never, ever enter into the kingdom of heaven. I bet you it got quiet after that. I'm sure that conversation that was going on in the debate that ensued about who was the greatest got quiet. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You know what Jesus was trying to teach them? The illustration of humility. It's how those of us who are followers of Jesus should live our lives. To be humble, not haughty. In fact, look at verse 5. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. When you receive a child, the Bible says it's just like we are receiving Christ. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Hmm. So how we treat babies matters. How we treat children matters. So let me give you two observations. Jesus receives the humble. Jesus receives the humble. I don't care what the color of your skin is. I don't care what your nationality is. I don't care what language you speak. Today, friend, Jesus receives the humble. He reiterates this several times in God's Word. James 4 and 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The word grace comes from a Greek word, which means unmerited favor. He gives unmerited favor to humble people. Now, it doesn't mean that humble people are always going to get their way or that humble people are going to find themselves at the front of the line. No, it just means that we will receive much grace. James 4 and 10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. I've been around many an individual, including the one that's standing before you, that God's had to humble me because I wouldn't humble myself. I began to read the press clippings. I thought I was something. My head got big, and then the Lord had to humble me because I was unwilling to humble myself. 1 Peter 5 and 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Some of us in this room are very impatient. We want it yesterday. But sometimes God allows us to go through a journey so that we will learn, so that we can have a teachable spirit, so that we will be taught. And yet, you've heard me say from this pulpit on more than one occasion that waiting time is not wasted time. No, I don't think it's time to be stationary when I'm waiting on God to answer my prayer, when I'm waiting on God to hear me out. No, I am to be proactive by studying God's Word, by fasting, by prayer, all the things that are drawing me closer to Jesus. But yet it isn't in that waiting time. When I'm placed in God's waiting room is where I can really learn some valuable things that I could in no other way learn. Learning how to wait, learning how to be patient. You know, it's interesting to note that if you look at the chronology of the Gospels, in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it tells the story of the rich young ruler, and then it's preceded by the story of Jesus gathering children around himself. Now, I think there's a reason why the Holy Spirit does this. In one story, Jesus receives people, kids, children, babies, and then in the next story, Jesus rejects someone, the rich young ruler. Listen, if you're arrogant before God, you're going to miss the kingdom of God. There's a whole lot of arrogance in our country right now. There's a lot of arrogance in the halls of power. And whether it's locally, 
statewide or nationwide, we need to be very careful with this thing called arrogance because point number two is Jesus rejects the proud. The Bible teaches us in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. What does it mean? It means God becomes an opponent of those who are proud, those who are poking out their chest and beating their chest and saying, hey, look at me. Listen to what I have to say. Look what I'm doing. Look what all I've accomplished. Jesus rejects the proud. I want you to consider what I'm talking about from the perspective of the disciples. First century now, not 21st century, but first century. Jesus received those whom the disciples thought he should reject, which was the kids, and he rejected a man the disciples thought he should receive, the rich man. Why reject the children? Why receive the rich man? Well, if you go back culturally and look in the first century, children were considered irrelevant They held no social status whatsoever. In a nutshell, they brought nothing to the table. Therefore, they were unimportant. I'm so glad that Jesus did not see things this way. Jesus had a plan for every baby put in the mother's womb. Jesus loved all of his creation from the preborn to the aged. And then all of us who were somewhere in between. In fact, on a day like today, parent-child commitment, it should make us consider these things of what we believe and why we believe them. In fact, right now, turn from Matthew 18 over to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 is a beautiful passage of Scripture, and it helps us to understand of why we should allow our children to come to Jesus. The Bible says, And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. The word children here is a Greek word. It means small child. Probably, maybe in my mind, a a child that's now walking, uh, a, a little boy or a little girl, a small child. But in Luke chapter 18, verse 15, through the eyes of the physician, Dr. Luke, he says, now they were bringing even infants. It's a Greek word, brephos, which means baby. To him that he might touch them, and when the disciples saw it, they rebuked him. So small children were being brought to Jesus, babies were being brought to Jesus, and the disciples didn't like it. So the disciples were telling families, keep your babies away from Jesus. Keep your small children away from Jesus. He don't have time for you. He can't be distracted. And yet, most of us were raised on this little song, Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world, red, yellow, black, and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. I did some Google search, and this song was written in the late 1800s by a pastor named Clarence Woolston because he understood something that we need to understand today. Jesus does love the children. So I had to ask myself a question, and maybe you've considered it now as well. What's up with these disciples? Why did they not want babies and children brought to Jesus? Well, it can be a distraction. All these beautiful children this morning with their parents. We sort of flipped the script on the service this morning because we know children, sometimes it's hard for them to sit still. Hey, i got to be honest with you, it's hard for me to sit still, okay? But yet, understanding and knowing that, Sometimes we consider what God considers a blessing, we consider a distraction. 
One of my heroes in preaching was a guy by the name of Dr. W.A. Criswell. He was the pastor at First Baptist Church Dallas for over 40 years. Dr. Criswell was a very powerful man in the pulpit. The story goes that he was preaching one Sunday morning and a little boy got away from his mom and dad on the second row. And this little boy comes tearing across the front right in the middle of this televised sermon to all of the greater Dallas area. And Dr. Crystal says, son, stop right there. Man, you could hear a pin drop. And that guy froze. Dr. Crystal just kept on preaching. He walked down and people were thinking, oh, yeah, he's going to get a hold of that boy. He was a distraction. Dr. Crystal knelt down and tied that little boy's shoes, patted him on the head and let him keep running. No, kids aren't a distraction. Listen, I've preached in enough dead Baptist churches from sea to shining sea where there's no children and there's no babies and it's dead as a hammer. So it doesn't bother me when a child screams out while I'm preaching. And if you've got a problem with it, then you've got a problem. Because that lets you know you're growing. That lets you know that things are going on, That's, that things are happening, that God's bringing people. And to God be the glory. No, the disciples did not want any unwanted interruption in Jesus' teaching or ministry. However, Jesus wanted it to be known that he loves the little children, and to such belong the kingdom of God. In fact, notice verse 14. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. Now, he was not indignant at the children. He was not indignant at the babies. No, he was indignant at the disciples. And this is what he said to them. Let the children come to me. That's my message today. Let the children come to Jesus. Mission friends, let them come to Jesus. RAs and GAs, let them come to Jesus. Actines, let them come to Jesus. Sunday school, let them come to Jesus. Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Aren't you glad that Jesus did not limit his ministry to any one particular group? He said, all of you can come to me. All of you, if you'll just come by faith, and you can be saved if you'll call upon my name, and you'll repent of your sins, and you'll believe in the gospel. Jesus was all about breaking down barriers rather than building up walls. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. The ministry of Jesus did not exempt anyone, whether they were Jew or a Gentile, male or a female, young or old. In fact, this is testified in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, that says that there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. Not only did Jesus welcome children, he also healed them. He cast out demons. He cured children from disease. He raised at least one child from the dead. Jesus was all about ministering to our sons and daughters. Look at verse 15. Truly I say to you that whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So the lesson of Jesus was using a child as an example of humility so that you and I could follow that example. Now here's where we are in the 21st century. For many, the pendulum has swung too far because we believe our kids are perfect and they're not. David said this about himself in Psalm 51, 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Yeah, since Adam and Eve messed up in the garden, every baby that's been born since has a sin nature. 
That's why you don't have to teach a kid how to lie. It's already in them. You don't have to teach a kid how to steal. It's already inbred inside of them because of a sin nature. My prayer is that we as parents will provide for our children. My prayer is our children will trust us, especially when we're trying to lead them and guide them. And here's the question, parents, can your children trust you? Is your yes a yes? Is your no a no? The Bible teaches us that as we're given and entrusted the next generation, how will we respond to them? Because our kids are a living metaphor for how all of us must enter into the kingdom and be saved. We can't do it on our own because none of us are good enough. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 once again says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of work so that no one may boast. None of us are good enough. None of us are good enough. We're trying to raise Zeke. We're trying to raise Danny. You're trying to raise yours. Praying that they will come to that moment where they cry out to Jesus. But in order to understand that there's someone who loved them enough to send his only son Jesus to die for them, we've got to recognize our insufficiency to do it ourselves. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3 and 5, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. Anything good that I'll ever do comes from Jesus because it's not inside of me to do it apart from him. No, our default is sin. Left unchecked by the Holy Spirit, we're going to get in trouble. Not just once, not just twice, but every day of our lives, we will continue in that sin. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, we don't have to walk in the flesh anymore. We can walk in the Spirit. So how did Jesus treat babies and small children? Look at verse 16. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Just a minute ago, I asked you to bow your head, but some of you were peeking, and that's okay. But I tried to lay hands, I tried to lay hands on every one of these babies that were standing in front of me a moment ago. Tried to touch them all. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. How does Jesus treat babies and kids and adults today? I'm glad you asked. Matthew chapter 11. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. A few minutes ago, we started our time with a little video from the skit guys. They use humor to bring great truths. Some of us in this room were not raised in a Christian home, and now it's up to you to change the story of your family, to change the dynamics of what you had to go through to get you to where you are now. It's going to be up to you as a man or woman of God, parents or one single parent, to raise your sons and daughters differently, to have them among God's people. But please remember, God's people are imperfect people. Sometimes we say the wrong things. Sometimes we do the wrong things. 
prayerfully not intentional, but because of our human nature, we will struggle at times. Zeke's 13, there's not a manual out there. He broke the mold with your kids. He's broken the mold with our kids. They're all different. Trying to cookie cutter, every one of them the same. Just don't think that was God's intentions. Why? Because our God is a creator God. Created every one of these beautiful babies in the womb for a purpose and a plan and a reason. They're not a distraction. They're a blessing. 